It's awesome. Thank you so much, Esther. Y'all open up to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to dive right in. Um, I'm excited tonight. We are picking up kind of a second half to Hebrews chapter 5. We do have some handouts for those of y'all that are here in Atlanta if you don't have them. We want to welcome everybody on Periscope. Thank y'all for joining us tonight. Um, So yeah, we're just going to let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. And in John 14, it gives a job description of the Spirit. And it basically says he illuminates truth, he shows us the way, he convicts us of sin, and really elevates the Son. And so I don't have words of life, I'm very well aware of that, Um, but he does. And so tonight, I just believe that he has words of hope and life in the scripture um, that we all need. I don't know what you need to hear, but I know what I needed to hear when I was studying this. And even if it's just one word or one phrase or one idea, that's kind of sometimes how God speaks, right? Like he makes your heart land on something and none of anything else that's said tonight may take root, but one thing, and that one thing is worth it. So it's worth battling in the rain, battling in the traffic, um, And it's worth coming to hear from the feet of Jesus what he would say. So, Spirit of God, do what only you can do. Um, Hebrews chapter 5. I'm just going to do a little recap just because we only got to a couple verses last time um, before we we ended. It was so rich. Um, So really, what did we learn? Hebrews chapter 5 is an overall comparison. If you have a scripture, it actually has a title at the top of the passage. But it's an overall comparison of Jesus and Aaron. And Aaron was the picture of the high priest. I mean, he was a real person, but he was a picture then of who Jesus is now. So Aaron, who was Aaron's counterpart? Who was his best buddy? Moses, right? So Moses was the leader of the people. Aaron was the high priest of the people of Israel. People really existed. He really lived. And he was raised up. And appointed by God, because we learned, right, two things that you have to have to be a high priest. You have to have a divine appointment. So God himself, which is pretty powerful, has to appoint you. And then you have to have a human sympathy, meaning Aaron wasn't perfect, so he had to sacrifice his own for his own sins. But he was seen through the eyes of God in the Old Testament as able to sacrifice for the sins of the people one day a year. So remember, we even talked about how in Hebrews chapter chapter 10, it says that the blood of bulls and goats will never take away sins. So even as Aaron was doing this year after year, day after day for the Day of Atonement, sacrificing sins, it was such a temporary fix. But all of it, y'all, was a, a foreshadowing. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of this exact chapter of Scripture where Jesus comes in and says, I'm the high priest. All of that was a system pointing to the real thing. It's like the tree and the shadow of the tree, jade under the tree, right? The shadow's going to do nothing for me. The shadow is being cast by the light of the sun on the tree. The tree's the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. And Aaron was a shadow. And the tabernacle was a shadow. The Old Testament was a shadow. Purposeful but it didn't give the shade, so to speak, that this high priest could. So we're just going to kind of go into making sure that we have kind of the idea. We're going to pick up really in, in verse 7, but it was the overall comparison between Jesus and Aaron. We saw how different, obviously, Jesus was in his priesthood than Aaron. As I just said, bulls and goats could never take away the sin permanently, but what Jesus did at the cross as the high priest is he took the power and the penalty of sin away. He freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. What did he not free us from, if I can use that phrase? It was the first, second line in your notes. Jesus saves the whole person from the penalty and the power of sin, but the presence of sin is still real, right? We don't have to look far to realize that. Sometimes you don't have to look past the mirror to realize that, right? The presence of sin is still here. It's still real. But the power of sin over our lives has been broken. 
It's, it's the, the curse has been broken. The penalty of sin, if we can remember, and I think sometimes just growing up in the Christian kind of Atlanta Bible Belt, we forget this. Because I've known Jesus since I was seven years old, very intimately. And I had sin, obviously, in my life at seven. Probably looks different than what I had at 16 and 25 and so on. But I knew it then I needed a Savior in the little tiny brain of a seven-year-old that I had. But I think growing up, knowing Jesus as my best friend from that place on, from that time in my life on, I forget that Romans is real where it says the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life. I didn't get that at seven. I didn't fully appreciate at seven years old. I don't know when your time was when you placed your faith in Jesus. But as I get older and as I see people die that I've loved, that have been very close to me, as I go to funerals, as my own body kind of breaks down clearly, everything happens like that when you get over 35, um, I realize, Lord, as you set me free from the penalty of death, I'm never going to die. I'm never going to die. Y'all realize this, right? My body may go to sleep, but I am never going to die. You, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you've been given eternal life. Do y'all know what the difference is between eternity and infinity? There is a difference here. I can't remember. I think we were watching some movie, and I was like talking about it with my husband. Because a lot of people use these words interchangeable, and they're not the same. God is infinite. We are not. What do you think the difference is between infinity and eternity? Take a wild guess. Okay, for which one? Okay, so what? Exactly. Infinity has no beginning and no end. Eternity has a beginning with no end. So when he says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, that means when we breathed our first breath on this earth as a sinner, as a human, that was the first birth, right? Our second birth to be born again is to breathe again of the Spirit, God, to receive Jesus. We are never going to see death. He's, been, he's given us eternal life. So at the cross, he set us free from the power and the penalty of sin, not the presence of it. There will come a day, and I believe it's coming a lot sooner than we think, where the presence of sin will be eradicated. And everything in here that has been prophesied, as we have seen so far, that has come true, everything else that we are waiting for will come true. And the presence of sin will be done away with but that day has not yet come. The reason why this is so important before we move on in Hebrews 5 is that there are believers who still live under the power of sin. That's ridiculous, right? The cross of Christ broke the power of sin over your life. Just real quick, you've got to turn with me to Hebrews 7. Just flip a couple pages over. This is too good for me to to quote it. I want to read it verbatim. Hebrews 7 I'm just going to start in verse 25. This is kind of setting up how much better Jesus is than Aaron, how his priesthood, his salvation was so much more complete and perfect for us and our sin than any that of a man. Hebrews 7, verse 25, hence to save forever. Aaron couldn't do that. Those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest. So now it's going to give qualities to Jesus as a high priest, who was holy, innocent, undefiled, and separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Aaron was none of that. Jesus was that. And Jesus, get this, in verse 27, He did not need daily, like those other priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sin and then for the sins of the people. 
because he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. Jesus is both the priest and the offering. He eradicated the power and the penalty of sin by giving himself as the, the lamb, spotless and blameless, and yet he offered himself, meaning he was the priest. He offered himself, it's just beautiful, the priest and the lamb. Verse 28, for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, Aaron, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Jesus' perfect priesthood has eradicated our penalty and power of sin, meaning our source of victory, our source, honestly, of all of life, our fuel, has changed. It's, it's gone to a new order, a new fuel, if you will. It went from sin as the master over our lives to righteousness, to, to Christ, to you are my master because of what you did at the cross. And Aaron couldn't do that for me. The Pope can't do that for you. Jesus is the only one that did that and can do that. So flip back to, um, to Romans. Um, we're going we're gonna to get to Hebrews, I promise. Um, but Romans makes this point even more clear. Let's see, let me... Romans um, 6. Let's see here. Okay. A lot of Christians really, I think they know this maybe in their head, but they don't live like this. So Romans 6, verse 17. It cannot be any more clear about this whole idea of the power and penalty of sin being broken. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. You weren't obedient just because you knew it. You weren't obedient to what I'm about to tell you just because it's information. God shifted your heart when you placed your faith in what Jesus did for you. And he freed you, verse 18, from sin, making you a slave of righteousness. Y'all realize at no point in your life, technically, are you ever without a master. Before Jesus, your master and mine was sin. Put, put whatever word you want to put in there, self. I mean, sin is just missing the mark. It's, it's going away from the direction God would have you go. So before Christ, sin was the master of me. I didn't have any other default. That's what I defaulted to, even at a young age. After Christ... After my agreement with him, my salvation because of him, my faith in him, yes, he set me free, but not free to run amok, not free to live my own life the however I want to live it with God helping me along the way. You see, you have a master, and now he is my master, and I am a slave. You are a slave to righteousness. Y'all, that's incredible. That, that, that doesn't mean that I have to do righteousness. I have to do perfection. That means that because of Jesus' righteousness at the cross, because he was the highest priest that ever lived, because he was both priest and offering, he said, Sarah, I can pay for every single one of your sins, but I can also remove the power and the default of your life to sin, and I can move it to righteousness on my account. Meaning, yes, do you still sin? Of course. Why? That's a deep conversation, and we can have that one. But in short, you no longer are a sinner. You are a saint. 
And when you sin, because you do, you're stepping out. You're not sinning because you're a sinner. You're stepping out because you've believed a lie. Something has come in externally that's tried to convince you that you're internally not the you're, you're the you're the same. You're still Kayla. You're still Sarah. You're still Meg. You just got God helping you along the way. Whatever that lie is that's come on you, it causes you to pull away. That isn't in your nature. It isn't who you are. 1 Corinthians 5.14 says what? You are a new creation. New creation. New source for life. You're not, your own, you're not your own authority. New source to obey. You don't have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps to obey God. He's your source for that. He's your source for righteousness. He did it all. And that's, that's kind of the power of understanding the priesthood. Because if you understand his priesthood and how complete it is, you will then begin to understand your own. Because he said, 1 Peter 2.9, that we have become a holy priesthood, set apart, royal. We are like him in so many ways. He is in us. I am in him. And I am a slave to righteousness, not defaulting to self and sin. My heart isn't prone to wander anymore. It isn't. Can my mind wander? Can things come at me? Yes. Can I deliberate on whether or not I'm going to believe God or not? Yes. But that isn't coming from the seat of who I am. Who I am has changed. And that we have to to realize and live in and understand that the power of sin has been broken, though the presence may still live. Make sense? So going back to Hebrews, it's very important that that we understand that. So he could deal gently, as it says, because Jesus was divinely appointed, because he was a perfect priest. He didn't have human sympathy. He had human empathy. Jesus was tempted and tested in every single way and yet without sin. Lust, pride, lying, betrayal, doubt, fear, you name it, it came at him tenfold. So he knows what it's like to cry on the pillow. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He, he gets it. He is not a high priest who can just sympathize with you the way Aaron could. He is a high priest who can empathize with you. Big difference. It's the difference between compassion and pity. Jesus doesn't have pity on us. He has compassion, which is what that word means, where it says that he can deal gently in verse 2. It literally means unbridled compassion. Jesus can have unbridled compassion on me, not just, oh, poor Sarah, she's struggling again. That's pity. And Jesus lives with compassion towards you and towards me, which humbles me a lot. Um, Therefore, he can entirely and perfectly save us, unlike Aaron or any human high priest. Um, Go with me real quick to Hebrews 10. Uh, This is kind of where we started our study in Hebrews, but this says it better about Aaron than I could. Hebrews 10, verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins he's referencing Aaron he's referencing the past but he verse 12 notice it's a capital H no longer Aaron it's Jesus but he having offered one sacrifice one and for all for sins for all time he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward to this very day until his enemies would be made a footstool under his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time who? Those who are sanctified, otherwise known as us. Y'all realize that Aaron could never sit down in the temple. His work was never done. He was on his feet all the time. Jesus finished the work as the high priest, and he was the only high priest to ever sit down. It was done. And he said, that's it. There's not any other need for any other sacrifices, any other addition to come to me. 
And so as I live my life and I get to meet so many people and mainly a, a lot of women and have coffee and hear stories, what I sift through to hear is are they really living in the finished work of Jesus or are they adding a little bit to what he's done? And they're tired and they're exhausted and they haven't believed the power of sin is broken so sin has taken rampant in their life and yet it is, it's real. The promise is real for them. The power of who he is is, is in them. But God wants to set them free. And I think it, it starts with understanding his priesthood to then understand your own. And you live in a whole different way. So flipping back, honestly, is a very stark comparison. Aaron had nothing in comparison to, to Jesus. In verse 7, we talked a little bit about that's a reflection of the Garden of, of Gethsemane. In the days of his flesh, he offered, there's that word again, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud crying and, and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. So I, I had a little just quick definition between prayers and supplications because, again, they're very different. Just like infinity and eternity is different, so is prayer and supplication. And when y'all read the scripture, I encourage you to stop on stuff like that. Don't just read through it because there's a reason why he's saying both. He could have just said he offered up prayers with loud crying, but he said both. So the definition of prayers used here is the expression of a desire, the declaring of a request. And we find out what that request is, remember, when we actually read the Gethsemane account in Luke 22. He makes his request known. Y'all remember what he said? When he's crying and he's sweating bloods of tears and the disciples are falling asleep and they can't even stay open to pray. And he's on his knees and he says, Father, if it be your will, take this cup. He's presenting his request. So that's his prayer, but then his supplication, which is defined like this, is an approaching in the need of favor. A supplication is someone who's not in control, and they need favor. Sometimes I think when we pray and when we supplicate to the Lord, we are putting ourselves in control. God, I need you to do this. And if you don't do this, I'm not going to do that. That's not what Christ is modeling here in his priesthood. He's modeling, I have a need, and I have a request, and I'm making it known. Remember, in the sandwich of your will, because he starts with the will of the Father in Luke 22, and he ends with it. But I'm also declaring through my supplications, I'm not in control. Your will be done, not mine. Here's my request, but your will be done. And so we didn't go into this too deeply last time that I kind of wanted to, if you take notes, you need to write this down because this is pretty revelatory. In Luke 22, which we're not going to read, but that's the Gethsemane account, if you look at that one verse where it talks about what he's praying, this is if an acrostic, if I can use that word, for prayer that I've never seen before until my study of this book. And when you look at it and you look at what Jesus is doing in Hebrews 5, 7 and what he's doing in Luke 22 in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see five things. And if we could only pray and supplicate like this, we would, we would live very differently. The first thing is he acknowledges the character or the name of God, right? He starts with Father. Same way with the Lord's Prayer, which we have all been taught, I'm sure. The Lord's Prayer is not the only outline to how to pray. This Gethsemane prayer actually reveals so much to us on how to approach the Father that I just never saw before. So he starts with Father, which he acknowledges the character in the name of God. You don't always have to start with Father. You can start with a different name, Elroy. God, you're the one who sees me. Jehovah, Jireh, you're the one who provides for me. See, what he's doing is he's acknowledging who he is first before he brings to him what he wants him to do. 
right? So he acknowledges the character name of God. Second thing, he addresses his will. Father, if it be your will. How many of y'all pray like that? Or do we just dive right into our request? God, help. God, I need. And that's not a bad thing. But there is a better way to approach the Lord. Remember how I said the book of Hebrews is all about the word better? Jesus is better. This is a better way for us to communicate with the Lord because that's really what prayer is. It isn't this this taking from God as much as it is a, a give and take. And so he acknowledges the character or the name of God. He addresses his will first. That's huge. Then you ask your request. They all start with A's. Acknowledge, address, ask. Father, I know who you are. You are the Father in heaven. You are the one who's providing. You are omniscient. You are El Shaddai. You are almighty. And if it be your will, I'm addressing who you are and what you want to do first. Can you X, Y, Z? And you ask. And you can ask as explicitly if you, as you want to ask. In fact, I think it's powerful to learn to pray as specific as you can. Because the more specific you pray, the more specific you'll see. The more general you pray, the less you'll see. I mean, I prayed for this very loft. And it sounds silly. I didn't know if we were ever going to get something like this. I had no idea we were meeting in my parents' house. We were totally out capacity. This was four or five years ago. Didn't have any money. And I'm like, Lord, you are Lord. You are the God of all things. You are the one who's originated establisher. It's your idea, not mine. And if it be your will, I'm asking for a place that has free parking, that has hardwood floors, it's somewhat pretty, that has beams. I would love exposed beams. I mean, I literally, I wrote it down. I had ne- did not know this existed, but I prayed. I didn't know I was praying this way, but I was. This was in January of 2011, in December of 2011. And I just prayed. I prayed specifically. And I surrendered it. And I said, here, you don't have to do it. It's okay, but Lord, I know who you are, and if it be your will, this is my request. This is my ask. And then the second thing is I accept whatever it is you're going to give me. I accept your will. And I did. And within two weeks, I had a set of keys in my hand from a guy, wasn't even a girl, who didn't even know that I prayed this, who actually worked at Catalyst, Meg who happened to have an extra set of keys to this that said, hey, I don't know why, but I thought maybe you would need this someday. Drop the keys in my lap. And I walk up the stairs and I burst into tears because everything I saw, I prayed for. I could have prayed, God, just give us a new place. In Jesus' name, amen, at some point. Okay, maybe he would have. But do you know how lit up I was when I walked up? I mean, I was out of breath, but I walked up the stairs and I, I saw, and then I looked at my journal, and I saw, do you know how much glory God gets out of me every time I walk up those stairs? Because I remember supplicating, praying, I need your favor. I need this. I need you. But more importantly, I want your will be done. And I just I sandwiched my ask in between his will, and he loves it. And he is a father that wants to give. He wants to give this to us. But he doesn't want to just have a bunch of spoiled children. So he's careful in how he gives, and he wants to teach us on how to ask. So you acknowledge his character. You address his will. You ask your request. You then accept his will. Notice addressing his will and accepting it are two different things. Because we can say all day long, your will be done. And we can hold our hands up on Sunday and we can sing songs that say surrender. And then all of a sudden something happens and you're going, uh, I, I didn't ask for this. I didn't want this. I don't, no, 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 no. And he's going, but you said, my will be done. That was half. Now will you accept whatever my will is? And we see it so beautifully in the high priest, so beautifully in Jesus in this verse in Hebrews 5, 7, but also in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, your will be done.
be done. And indeed it was. The last thing is you anticipate strength. Y'all, when you pray like that, you get up off your knees. You're not nearly, at least you shouldn't be, you're not nearly as in doubt or as in, I'm scared. Man, you pray like that. You pray with faith and you acknowledge who it is you're talking to. You address his will saying, God, I'm just going to say it out loud. You don't need to hear it. I need to hear it. Your will, if you be willing, I'm going to ask my request. I'm going to then accept whatever it is you give to me, say to me, do to me. And then I'm going to anticipate being strong. Y'all know in Luke 22, in that next verse after this Garden of Gethsemane prayer, it says the angels of the Lord came and strengthened Jesus. They strengthened him. And there are times when I know in my prayer life, honestly, I wasted about an hour because I got up the same way I got down. Y'all have those moments? When you are so freaked out, you so need direction, you are so in anxiety, you're in doubt, you know you should pray, so you do, but you don't get up any different. You get up the same way, and you're shaking, and you're doubtful, and you're, I don't, but I'm praying, I'm praying. That is doing nothing. And when I looked at this, and I looked back in Luke, at what Jesus was facing, I can't imagine and yet I look at his prayer and I'm going, nothing circumstantially changed for him. In fact, it was solidified in his heart it was going to happen. He was going to go through with it. This cup was not going to be removed on some senses. But on other senses, God the Father heard him very clearly. And Jesus did die. It was not metaphoric. It was not spiritual. There was a death. He did descend. He had momentary separation from the Father so that we would never have to have it eternally. But he experienced for that time frame, that sacred weekend, separation, which is what he was really mourning over. And that's the part that I think he was saying, God, I don't care about the physical death. I don't care about the lashing and the beating and the spilling of my blood. It's the separation from you. If you could just remove that. But your will be done. And he didn't have that part removed. And he was separated. And the father turned his back on the son. First time ever in history and last time in history. On the cross when all the sin came on him. And that's when Jesus said, why? Have you forsaken me? That part of the cup did not get removed because God the Father had surrendered and accepted whatever the will was going to be. And he said, my son, I know if you can experience momentary separation, they won't have to experience eternally. So for a weekend, I'm going to turn my back on you. So I will never turn my back on them those that believe me. Huge. Just unbelievable. But listen to the last part of this verse in Hebrews 5, verse 7. Jesus was weeping, loud crying, giving tears to the one who he knew was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. The word there is eulabia, eulabia in Greek literally means surrendered dependence, a surrendered will. Again, Luke 22 is the perfect picture of this verse. He surrendered over his will, and he said, you don't have to take the cup from me. I will go through with it, but I've made my request known. So here's what's really powerful. God heard his prayer and yet didn't answer it the way he wanted. Y'all ever had that happen in your life? God hears your prayer, totally, and you know he did. But he didn't answer it the way you wanted. And you're so grateful. And Jesus rose from the dead, so he didn't experience eternal separation. He rose from the dead, and we now can enter rest because he rose, because God the Father heard that prayer and said, My son, I hear you. And what's pleasing me the most 
is your ilubeya, your surrender-dependent will on me. And I'm going to hear you. And I'm going to raise you from the dead and give them the opportunity to enter rest forever. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Obviously, right? He suffered. He suffered more than we could ever imagine. And so just a couple thoughts here as we, as we end this about suffering. Um, what teaches us obedience? What teaches us obedience, y'all, is pain. It is suffering. It is not the skirting of it. It's the walking right through it. Obedience, at least a life of active obedience to the Lord, should be your story. As a believer in Jesus, y'all, this, oh, there's just, I don't even know how. There is absolutely grace. And if, any, if anybody is about grace, it's me and it's established her. But here, here's where there's a little bit of a burden on my heart. Because when some people talk about grace, they make it divorced from obedience. And you can't do that. Living the life of someone who understands the perfect priesthood of God, who then has made you a priest, 1 Peter 2, 9, you cannot go on living without continued active obedience. And obedience, I mean, the definition I have here, dutiful or simply submissive compliance to the one in authority. Submissive compliance to the one in authority. So you know what obedience says? Obedience says a couple things. One, I'm not in authority. That's a huge one for a lot of people. Obedience says, I'm not in authority. I am in submissive compliance to the one who is. And I will do what he asks of me. And he doesn't ask much. In fact, he makes it very clear. You don't have to do anything but believe me Believe me that my way is better. Believe me that my work is finished. Believe me. Because without believing me, it's impossible to please me, Hebrews 11. Without faith, Hebrews 11:6, it's impossible to please God. Obedience equals pleasing God, right? Obedience equals submissive compliance to the one who's in authority. God, if you're in authority, then I'm going to believe you. I'm not going to believe me. Sure is the earth not going to believe what other people say, what they think, God forbid, but people live like that. They live obeying either themselves as an authority or everybody else. And that runs its course to a dead end, ladies. It does not go well. And so there is grace, there is mercy, there is transformation, absolutely, but not divorced from active, continual obedience. And this, this Jesus modeled. He is our source to do it. Remember, when we obey, he becomes the source of salvation eternally. But y'all get this. When we obey, he is the source then of our obedience. He is the source of our sanctification, too, into his image. That's not up to me. I don't have to clean up my life, get it all right, and figure it all out by myself with God's help. I have to surrender and completely submit in compliance to him and believe his word and trust that, man, you're my new fuel. You're going to live through me. You're going to go to my job for me. You're going you're to say things through me. You're going to show up. You are the one who's living life through me. That is incredible. It isn't up to me. There can't be this dual mastership. You either obey the Lord and you submit and you comply. Are you one who is easy to comply to him? Or do you dig your feet in 
and kicking and screaming and say, this way isn't the best. This is archaic. It's, it's out of relevance. My way's better. But I know God. I mean, he's a part of my life. He's a part of my story. That's not, under, that's not priesthood. That's not understanding this. That's not understanding what the more is that he wants to give you. It's cutting it so short. And so you learn obedience through, through pain. You learn it through suffering. That's when it counts, is when things don't go the way you thought. When that cup isn't removed, are you still going to believe? I can't answer that for you. But I know, for me, I have had much of my life not go the way I thought. Or the way I wanted, even. And yet, at the very bottom of who I am, because of Jesus and me, I can honestly tell you, your will be done, Lord. I am totally, gratefully in submission to you as my authority. And so come what may. It will be sifted through your hands, but I am staying true to who I know you to be, to what I know you to say. And I'm going to live a life of adventure, and I'm going to have pain, and it's going to teach me to obey you, and you're going to show up, and I'm going to have blessing. But I'm going to be in obedience. I'm going to, to be obedient versus just doing it in my heart. I loved how it said in that Hebrew 7 verse, they obeyed from their heart, not their mind, not just what they knew. And he, he is my life. He, he has ordained that in me. And so when you get to that place, he becomes your source, not just for fire insurance, not just to keep you from hell, okay? He becomes your, he's your how-to to live, not just the principle what to live. He's actually the power behind it. Going on to verse 11, he says, concerning him, which is actually capital H, it's, a, it's not lowercase h. In the margin of my Bible, it is a capital H, meaning Jesus. And so the author here is saying, we have so much to tell you about him. We have so much to tell you about this high priest it's going to blow your mind, all that he has in store, all that he is, all that you are now because of him. But you know what? It's hard to explain to you because you've become dull of hearing. See, disobedience makes us dull to hear. Obedience tunes your ears to hear, to hear the Lord, to follow after him to where in the next two verses you can grow in the Lord, right? Isn't that the goal? To grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? Flip over real quick to just one book, 2 Peter. It's just a couple books over from Hebrews. 2 Peter, verse 3, 18, or chapter 3, verse uh, 18. I love this. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest you be carried away by error, this is verse 17 right before it, or unprincipled men, and you fall from your own steadfastness. Beware of that, but do this, verse 18, grow, grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior. Grow in him. Don't stunt your growth. Don't have dull ears. Don't not obey. Delayed obedience is disobedience, by the way. Any parents could agree with that. So just obey. Believe him. Walk in his way. Trust him. Let him convict you in the areas of your life that aren't his best for you, that aren't better for you, and you will grow. But here's what happens if you don't. Verse 12, he's saying that at this time, they should have been way past being babies. They should have been way past milk. said, for though by this time, you ought to be teaching this stuff, but now you still have a need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to just need milk and not solid food. Here's my nephew, and he's five months. There is a precious thing about a newborn, and they need milk. That's part of their growing. 
But Henry's appetite is growing. His body's growing. And he needs more than milk. And you can tell he craves more than milk. We just introduced food. And it's, it's you know, all blended together. But it's, it's, it's sustenance more than what he had. And as soon as he tastes that, you've got to kind of convince him to want the milk. Like, he kind of wants the sweet potatoes. And he wants the spinach. And he wants that. It's more sustenance for his growing body. So same thing is spiritually, right? We go through stages, or at least we should. We should graduate from newborn babies needing milk, which is great for a season. There's nothing wrong with that. But there ought to be a craving. There ought to be an appetite growth in you. I want more. I want more of Jesus. I want more of him in my life. I want more peace. I want more of what he has to offer. I'm sick and tired of going my own way. I want more victory over sin. Let's just be honest. I want more. That's sanctification. I want to be more like you. So come come and give me all you have for me. Let's graduate. Let's go to, what is it, Gerber number one, you know, Gerber number two. And you're going to work your way up to steak, right? And that richness and that solid food, that just depth of knowledge, depth of grace, the greater you understand the grace, the greater you understand him. And I mean, you get there, and it's this beautiful journey. But the problem is, I don't know how to be politically correct about it. There's a bunch of little people. There's a bunch of little Christians that have had growth stunted and their appetites suppressed. They're satisfied with status quo. The church is either enough or it isn't enough. And because of the church and because they got burned by somebody at the church, they then throw this out, which just has nothing to do with that. And they, they stunt their growth and they stay on milk. And they never get the victory they really want. They, they never have freedom that they really are promised. And it's no fault of the Lord. It's available. It's present. It's here right now, tonight, at this very moment. And he's saying, if you will just, oh you, let me grow you through obedience. Let me grow you through my word. Let me grow you through suffering. It's going to be hard. Because here's the thing about obedience. It says this in Matthew 16, 24. Y'all know that verse. When Jesus was following, he was going to the disciples, and he says, basically, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Leave it all behind. Leave what you think is better and come along with me. It's like the Lord is saying, Sarah, if you will deny your will, take the pain, whatever it's going to be. And sometimes pain's just not getting your way. Sometimes it's as simple as that. And that can be very complex for some people. Deny your will, take whatever the pain is, and follow my way. If you will do that, I will grow you. You are not responsible to grow you. I will grow you. I will graduate you. I will give you milk. I will give you smoothies. I will give you so much more solid food. You will have the richest affair, and you will grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you will be made more like him, and the world will look like, wow, Jen's different. Katie's different. They will see something. You will see something in the mirror, and you'll go, I'm not the same. I'm different. I changed, and I didn't do it, except that I I believed him. I did deny my will. It's no longer my will. It's yours be done. I took on whatever you said. I've accepted your way, and I'm living new and different. And that could be everybody's story. It's not just mine. But there will come a crossroads, and some of you might be at it, where you will have to turn one of which direction. You either are going towards him with all you got or you're going after you. 
kind of dragging him along because you're a Christian-ish. Y'all, that is so, that's so not life. That's so not living. He has so much more over here. So he says in verse 14, or 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for they are but a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, circle that word, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The more he matures us, the more he trains our senses, y'all. He trains your eyes. He trains your ears. He trains the eyes of your heart to see this book as not daunting and scary and a bunch of words. He can train your senses to see things in a whole new way as you practice digesting the meat as you practice falling in love with his word. He'll grow you. And so I have this deep prayer and longing as we end tonight, just that we would see out of Establish Her, I don't care what ministry it is, but I'll tell you right now, Establish Her is breathing into this space with everything we are. Because what I want to see is women that eat steak, that just get it saying, man, I am so done with the lukewarmness. I am so done with not understanding his priesthood, that he is perfect, that his way is better, that he was my offering, and he's my intercessor. I'm so done with not getting that I am set apart. Y'all realize a priest was set apart. They were not like other people. Why are we like other people? I don't, I don't know. But Jesus has more than that. And I'm ready to see women that are meat eaters, that digest, that bear with the scripture, that digest it deep into their spirit and are transformed in the process. And so I'm, I'm along that journey. We're not, it's not an arrivalist type thing, but it is something that we ought to be seeing transformation day in and day out because of this living, active word. And I, I want you to come along. I want the whole city of Atlanta to come along. That's what Roots Groups are part of, to get women to dive deeper into this, to go from milk to meat. That's what our retreat's going to do. It's what it is about when you surround yourself with women that are wise and discerning and mature. Do you think you're then going to become wise, discerning, and mature? Absolutely. So, Lord, I know your heart is to grow us in the grace and knowledge of you. God, I know your heart is to see us mature, and to see us live in and out of your priesthood, your perfect offering to live in the reality that you are interceding on our behalf, you are mediating between us and God, that we have a right standing relationship with Jesus. Thank you, God, that we can live in that reality. God, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of this word, that you would set women apart supernaturally, that 1 Peter 2, 9 would take root in their lives, that they would understand they're royal, they're different, they're not of the world, therefore their life is no longer like the world. Only you can do that. Surge up a revival, Lord, of women that love to eat and feast on you as bread not just milk. You are the bread of life, for you are the richest of foods. And so would we just feast on you and never get enough of you? You are so good. We love you, we trust you, we obey you, we long for you. And we want to see you change us and grow us root us deeper in you. In Jesus Christ's name.
she said earlier about how grace and obedience is not divorced. And I feel like these days, how we're taught, it's like we have to choose either one. And that's not the case. And I think we all have been in moments where we have tried to take control. And how it never worked out. Um, so this song, what it's saying, it's extremely simple. And all it says is, I give myself away. I give myself away. I give myself away. So you can use me. So simple, but so powerful. And as we sing this, if we could just meditate on what things that we try to take control. And as we sing it, let's just lay it at his feet.
praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for worship. Thank you, Esther, for doing that. Um, thank you all for coming tonight. A couple things really quickly. Um, we just sent out an invite, or invite rather, to the Grateful Table at my house. Uh, we do need you to RSVP, so I've got my computer back there. If you haven't gotten information, that means we don't have your email for this paperless post. Um, it just was a little harder to keep track of people emailing the info account at Establisher. So we just made an invite. If you want it, it's November 19th. We'll send you it. Just put your email in the computer tonight and let us know what dish you're bringing. I wanna, we're going to decorate and have a table and all that. So we just need to know how many people to expect. Um, and then our next gathering is the 9th of November um, coming up here. So bring a friend. Um, and then, yeah, the 19th is the Grateful Table, the retreat. We still have a few spots left. We had a couple other tickets bought today. So the retreat is coming up very, very shortly, almost, gosh, a little bit about a month away. So Andrews, North Carolina, December 4th through 6th. Seriously, if you have a small group, I don't know if we have that many tickets left, but five or six or so. If you know people, if you want to be a part of this, 60 women, very intimate, very restful, very God-ordained weekend. Um, you don't have to take off work on Friday. We don't do anything until dinner and that kind of stuff till late in the evening on Friday night, that night, the 4th. And then we're done by before lunch on Sunday. So it's a real quick weekend, but it is packed full of rest, ironically, and truth and um, experiences with the Lord, and it's just powerful. So there's gifts waiting for you there and five-star food, and it's just amazing. Um, so if you want more information, Esther's got that. We can send you that if you want it. Uh, if you want to sign up, you can do that as well. So questions, comments, you good? Thank you all for coming. Look forward to seeing you the ninth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yep. He rose from the dead, and we can enter in the promise of rest. And then when you obey, uh, you one. The source of salvation eternally and the source of our sanctification externally. Yeah, so he, he's the one that changes us, and obviously we get to enter into his salvation. Yeah, great questions. Thank you, guys. We'll see you all in just a couple weeks, hopefully, if not before. I know. I'm sorry. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, it died. Awesome. I know. That's okay. I was like, did I just break it? But it's okay. We had a good It was so powerful. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That was him. Mm-hmm. I love it. Oh, absolutely, girl. I took that and just did the periscope to that too, and people stayed on. Cool. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Meg, thank you for doing that. That's that's great. Yeah, so we had 25 live viewers. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. That's you singing in Periscope, so everyone heard that, which is amazing. I have a question. Yes. Okay, so the foster thing you do with the dogs, what organization do you work with? Oh, I didn't. I did it myself. Okay. Well, so there's a lady named Judy Price that founded Atlanta Pet Rescue 15 years ago. She's kind of a celebrity in the rescue industry. Retired and started two years ago Priceless Pets. So it is a rescue, but it's out of her home. Okay. And I well, the reason somehow I, I got connected with her. My friend, uh, my friend, baby kitten showed up on her back porch, and I ended up recently taking the kitten in because she didn't have means to take care of it. Totally. So I'm like fostering this little kitten, but I don't really have a good way of like finding a good home for her yeah. except for like connecting through Facebook or whatever. Yes, and, so and I would do that because I mean that's how I did it. It, it went crazy. But the other one that I, I originally talked to before I found Judy, and she only does dogs, um, is Paws Atlanta, and they're kind, no kill, and I think they have like a feline area and a, a dog area, so they can keep them separate. 
but I was really pleasantly pleased with them when I talked to them. Um, Paws Atlanta, the only thing, so you're doing the right thing by fostering it because they will not take it directly from the street. They have to be fostered, which is why I had to go into like, my friends got to keep these dogs, you know. And then Judy happened to hear on Facebook about us and she said, I will take these dogs in and I will work on getting them home. So I you found one dog at like, home. Does, like, any kind of like check on people that are adopting? Like, like, in, like yeah, an application sure or, not, like, they, I think they do. That's what Judy does. So okay. she has a whole application and I can even, I can forward you the application that she sent me. And when you talk to Paws, say, hey, these are some of the things I would like to be vetted. You know, it's not just a free cat. You yeah, know, like I she mean, makes people buy them. Like, I've grown to like it, and I'm like, I can't give it away to anyone. Excellent. Right? Like, so maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe it's meant for you to keep them I or know her. I have two cats, so like, I'm gonna end up being the cat lady. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> and shirts. I know. I've had two people say the same thing. Like, so good to see you, Sunny. So glad. Hopefully, November nineteenth on the Grateful Table case. I've had two people like that, like allergic to cats, but they want a cat. I'm so like, maybe you should keep them. Is it a girl or a boy? It's a girl. girl. <laughs> yeah, she's little. She's little. She's like, she's a, a pound, one pound, and she's only six weeks old because I took her to the vet, and they were like telling me how stinking cute. Oh, gosh. Wait. Oh, so cute. I mean, yeah. adorable she, and pretty. She yeah, she's adorable. Just remind me to bring my DSLR. Yeah, Friday. don't give her away now. Remind me to bring my DSLR on Friday so I could take a bunch yes, of pictures. Yes, that's it. Oh, on Friday when we meet? At your house? Oh, of, the, of vessels and stuff? Uh, no, of just like things. Oh, background so and we can use it? Because we need to establish her as a view. Okay, let's do that. And can you photograph Grateful Table? Can you take pictures of the Grateful Table? So I would love to have pictures during. Oh, you mean that night? Yeah. Oh, yeah so we could have that oh, yeah. as part of our repertoire for pictures and stuff. Of course. Yeah. Awesome. 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 You are so wonderful. Oh, you are too. Oh, I just love her. And I just want to encourage you that I know there are going to be times where it's really hard, but encourage yourself with the word that you brought. Mm, amen. So amen. If he calls you to it, it's already done. It's already like it's done. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you. Um, what time on Friday? Um, any time is fine. I just had 10 to 12. Okay, 10 o'clock. Easy. Okay, perfect. Perfect, perfect. Okay, love you. No, I'm good. Yeah, easy cleanup tonight. I'm just going to rip that tape off and we're good to go. <laughs> Thank you, love. Did everybody, yeah, okay. Oh, no. I, I never stopped that. Huh? I never